Comey was spying on Trump. Well, the reason he was writing the memos was to create a record so that he could destroy No Trump. American knowingly colluded with the Russians to interfere in our election campaigns. Oh wait, unless you mean Hillary Clinton. Pardons, prosecutions, and transparency. You're listening to Tom Fitton's weekly update here on JW TalkNet. Hey everyone, Judicial Watch President Tom Fitton here with our latest weekly update on social media. Thanks for joining us this week. We've got a lot to go uh, through. Uh, the debate about clean elections and vote by mail and the potential chaos that may cause. We had a terrible court decision in our fight to get Adam Schiff held accountable to the law. I'll talk about that, but we did have success in forcing the FBI to capitulate to us on a key corruption issue. Plus, we had some also some success in defending the rule of law on clean elections, uh, this time in Alabama. So uh, a lot to talk about this week. And of course, we've got the continuing riots, uh, the coronavirus crisis, all sorts of things, all kind of all building and coming together over the last several days and several weeks. Uh, but first up though, and, and I'll bring in maybe the coronavirus discussion here as well, is the debate about our election systems and whether, as President Trump has suggested, uh, vote by mail will undermine clean elections. He raised the question because he's been following the left's arguments pretty closely um, and more honestly, frankly, than his left-wing media critics, uh, that um, he raised the question, should the elections be delayed until we can vote safely and securely? Now, he just raised the question. Now, he is actually, in my view, holding the left accountable for its own rhetoric, which I've highlighted to you is been reckless and irresponsible by suggesting you'll die if you vote in person. If that's the case, then why have elections if that's the crisis? That's the question the president's asking. Do I think we need to delay the elections? No. I do think we need to encourage people to vote in person because relying on the mails to vote is not the best way to ensure, most specifically, that your vote will be counted. Voter fraud, obviously, the risk is increased dramatically when you have tens of millions of ballots being mailed to voters across the land. As we pointed out, and as I pointed out on behalf of Judicial Watch and sworn testimony to Congress, uh, the Baker-Carter Commission, which was a commission uh, named after James Baker, the famous Republican um, aide to Ronald Reagan, a former Secretary of Treasury, and Jimmy Carter, the former president, acknowledged that uh, uh, vote by mail increases the likelihood of fraud. It's harder to contain and check fraud with vote by mail. I mean, obviously, it stands the reason if you don't vote in a polling place under the watchful eyes of uh, government and political officials, because the parties get to monitor the polls as well, representatives of the candidates in most circumstances, uh, the opportunities for fraud dramatically increase. And as importantly, even if fraud is not an issue, the ability to mess with your vote increases. So to get your ballot from point A to point B, or even point B to point C, obviously raises a different additional hurdles 
to having your vote counted. And we've had instances in New York, we have New York, they still haven't figured out a month after primaries uh, who won because they were overwhelmed with vote by mail and mail-in ballots. And the ballots that have been sent in, they've many have been uh, thrown out because of uh, many rules weren't kept. Either they weren't signed or they weren't postmarked properly or whatever. Now, do you want that to happen to your vote? Of course you don't. If you can go shop, if you can go protest, you can go vote. So rather than delaying elections, we have to stop the rhetoric that you can only vote by mail. It's the safest way to vote. I mean, obviously, if you never leave your house, well, I don't know if, if, if you'll never leave your house, uh, you're actually better off than going out and voting because this is all just junk voodoo science. But vote on election day. What's so hard about that? And don't let the, let the left scare you from voting on election day. But right now, we've set up a system, thanks to the left, which I think benefits from, uh, wants to be able to benefit from the voter fraud that will result and uh, from upending our election systems. Because remember, this isn't about just 2020. It's about every future election after 2020. The goal of the left is to increase opportunities for fraud. How do I know that? Because all of their proposals increase the opportunity for fraud. They want vote by mail, which increases the opportunity for fraud. They oppose voter ID. They oppose cleaning up election rolls like Judicial Watch is trying to do. And now we're in engaged, thanks to leftist scare monitoring, in an unprecedented um, experiment that we're gonna find out whether it works or not on election day. And what is the experiment we are mailing? 43 million ballots, at least, in the mails. That means that ballots are going to go out to whoever, presumably registered citizens, but of course, no one really is able to check that well. Oh, you may think that citizens can only register to vote. Well, that's the law, but no one checks to make sure that when someone signs the registration form and they say they are citizen, no one checks that. There's no citizenship verification, 43 million ballots are going to be mailed across the nation. What can go wrong, right? What can go wrong when you send 43 million ballots? In California, the president talks about election day. We may not know who won on election day. In California, where Judicial Watch sued to stop, successfully sued to stop a plan that Gavin Newsom had to mail ballots to people who may have moved away and died. We got that cut out, but they're still gonna be mailing millions of ballots. They plan to, and they, they will under law, keep on counting votes until at least 17 days after the election. Their thinking is if you get the ballot in on election day, you can mail the ballot on election day. They're obligated to count it as far as 17 days out. So we may not know who won the election on election day. And it's not just the president, the presidential contest, 
There are Senate contests, there are House contests, and all up and down the ballot, as you know. And those contests are going to probably even be more significantly impacted. This is why I've been warning about it. I've testified about it. Judicial Watch has been highlighting this. We've highlighted the fact that many voting rolls are filthy. In California, they're removing up to 1.6 million inactive names thanks to a Judicial Watch settlement agreement. Now we're told those names won't get lists, won't get ballots. But the point is, when you've got admittedly dirty names on the list, it suggests there are other problems. Other states, we're not assured ineligible voters won't get the, the names, the roles, excuse me, uh, ballots or ballot applications. There's this famous story that I've highlighted on my Twitter feed where a cat received an absentee ballot application or a voter, a ballot application. And the cat's dead for 12 years. That's the, that's the sort of opportunity for fraud and and shenanigans and misconduct that it can occur when you have massive efforts to vote by mail and uh, send ballots out without any real security checks. I mean, as it is, too many people vote by mail. It's not a secure way to vote. I, to a degree, it is secure. It's not secure enough in the sense that there are states that have absentee ballot requirements that require some sort of identification be attached or some certification in the form of another witness confirming that that's the person who's signing on to it. But it exposes your vote to being, to be, you know, your signature is attached to your vote when you mail and vote in some locations. What happens to the privacy of your vote in those circumstances? Or is it as assured as it would be if you went to vote on election day at a polling place? No, of course not. So I don't know what's going to happen on election day. I know there's going to be more chaos than normal. I know that there's going to be increased fraud necessarily because we're relying more on a process that is susceptible to fraud. We have NPR talking about potentially, they were, went through and looked at states, 1% of ballots were thrown out. NPR, don't believe me, look it up. Do you wanna be part of the 1%? In New York, 20% of the ballots, the numbers are supposedly are being kicked, tossed aside. Imagine the litigation over that on a, when, on, during a presidential contest. The president's right to be concerned. Now, can the election be delayed? Yes, it can. Of course, a law needs to be passed by Congress, I think, in order to do so, but it's technically possible. It's not constitutionally um, impermissible to change the election day. Practically speaking, I don't think it's gonna fix the issue of this push for mail-in ballots. As long as we keep on pushing mail-in ballots, we're still gonna have this chaos and, and potential fraud, no matter when the election happens. 
And I said it once and I'll say it again, President Trump and every other politician who's out there who, who's acting, behavior, you know, who, who thinks they need to be responsible or sh should be responsible, they should be encouraging people to vote in person. It's the best way to vote. And Judicial Watch is doing what it can to ensure that the lists are cleaner. We filed lawsuits in Pennsylvania and North Carolina. We found in those two states alone, there are upwards of 2 million, it's almost nearly 2 million extra names on the rolls. Just the war, and the good news is even a warning letter to one county in Pennsylvania, Allegheny County, resulted in that state, that county removing 69,000 names from the rolls. Now the left will say, well, those are names that are quote, inactive. Well, A, that's not entirely clear, and B, inactive voters are registered to vote, and that's a pool from which fraudsters can draw. That's why the law requires the list be clean. Dirty voting rolls can mean dirty elections, and in 2019, we did a study. I'm sure the numbers have changed since then. Probably not too much for the better. Two and a half million extra names on the rolls. And that's a kind of a very narrow analysis, meaning those were names in, there were counties that had more people on the rolls than were eligible to vote. So that was over 100%. So the number is even probably, is, is probably bigger than that. Forty-three million ballots are going to be mailed without you asking for, or any other voter asking for them, and that just doesn't that doesn't count the those who who um, because they've been scared from voting in person ask for ballots and then have them sent, and I don't know how many that's going to be. And the left, as I said, they don't want to upend, they don't want to make it, uh, they don't want to have any serious checks on people who mail in ballots. They say there'll be signature verification. Oh, please. That and a quarter still won't get you a cup of coffee. In many ways, the train has left the station. These ballots are going to go out. What we can do is pressure states, as Judicial Watch is doing, through its educational efforts and obviously legal efforts, to clean up the rolls as best they're able under law now. I mean, for instance, in Pennsylvania, I was talking to a reporter for the Washington Post. And um, I learned from him, and this is what I quote, and he, he gave me a quote responding to it, that Pennsylvania isn't cleaning up its list, according, at least some counties in Pennsylvania aren't cleaning up their list. They've stopped doing it. So if you're dead and moved away, they're not, and they know about it, they still may not be cleaning up their list. That's deeply disturbing. Again, I'm going to I'm going to highlight the fact I got a book coming out, and it's because it's important. I want to raise it. A, re, a republic under assault. A republic under assault. Our elections are fundamental 
to our constitutional republic. Don't you agree? And they are being undermined in unprecedented ways now. What's going on is a revolution against the rule of law on elections. You got the rioting in the streets. They're trying to burn down courthouses. Well, they're also trying to blow up our election systems. Our system can't handle 43 million ballots in the mail. It can't. New York has shown that, and it's a primary. So let's clean up the rolls as best we're able, and let's have across the board, every politician, every civic leader in America encourage people to show up and vote in person to mitigate and dissuade people from voting, in mail, voting by mail unnecessarily. Absentee ballots are to be used in emergency situations. And the left says, well, the military votes by mail. Of course they do. They're deployed overseas. Are they suggesting they shouldn't be able to? It's the exception that proves the rule. Vote by mail was so difficult for the military, they had to pass a separate law to ensure the military is able to vote easily when they're deployed overseas or elsewhere. We have tens of millions of aliens here in the United States, tens of millions. I don't wanna wed myself to a particular number, but let's say it's 40 million. And I mean, aliens who are lawfully present here and those who are illegal aliens. Are they, of course they register to vote. Of course they vote. We can only argue about how many of them do it. No citizenship verification. Most states have either no voter ID at all or an adequate voter ID. Only 10 or 11 states have strong voter ID laws. Many states, you may think your state has a voter ID law, but most states have no real bar to voting if you show up without an ID. It's so lax or the acceptable ID is so broad that they may as well not have voter ID at all. Now, of course, I, you know, to be fair, any, any, even, even going through the motions of asking for voter ID in many ways is better than no voter ID, but major states like California, of course, which is mailing out tens of, uh, I don't know how many millions of voters, how many millions of ballots to people unasked, New Jersey, New York, Illinois, here in the District of Columbia, there's no voter ID requirement. 15 big states have uh, no voter ID. Uh, 33 or so states, 35 states have kind of okay to substandard voter ID requirements and only 10 or 11 states have strong voter ID requirements. Does that make sense? Now it's probably about 25 states have, it's not 35 states, 25 states have okay voter ID requirements, 10 have good ones. And as I said, the 15 don't have any voter ID requirements at all. 
So millions of people don't have to show their ID to vote. Do you think that's okay? Does that reassure you that elections will be clean and fair in those localities? Of course not. And the left likes to pretend there's no voter fraud or it's not substantial. I don't know about you, but even one vote in a close contest can make or break a race. And I don't want my vote to be stolen. You want your vote to be stolen? Of course not. Negated by someone who votes illegally? And of course, the reason we have these rules is to reassure people that the elections are clean and they can participate. When you have the perception because of uh, garbage rules that uh, elections are rigged, it will depress voter turnout. How do I know that? Because when they increase security for elections, this information or, or uh, the, the data shows that voter turnout increases because people recognize, hey, now they've got some checks in place, my vote's more likely to count and not be stolen or it won't matter if it, you know, it's more likely to matter. So Judicial Watch is actually in court trying to ensure clean elections. We're educating the American people to ensure clean elections, but the left is suppressing the vote by scaring people from voting in person. The left is undermining clean elections by trying to take away the few rules in place to ensure that mail-in ballots or absentee ballots are secure, certified, and have identities associated with them. Chaos on election day, that's what I'm concerned about. So keep track of what Judicial Watch is doing. We've testified to Congress about it. We're in litigation about it. We're educating people about it. And the left, they try to shut us down. You know, they try to get us censored online on election issues. It's unbelievable. We're experts on election law. We're experts on election processes. We've got one of the highest quality teams legally in that area in the country. And we do it with your support and I appreciate that. And along those lines, uh, we've been out there trying to defend the rule of law and protect voter ID laws. We've uh, been, in, I think we filed like half a dozen amicus briefs in North Carolina, uh, but the left-wing courts in North Carolina uh, tore apart the North Carolina voter ID law that was approved by its legislature and people. In Alabama, the left tried the challenge of voter ID law. And the good news is, an appellate court, thanks in part, in my view, to Judicial Watch's amicus brief that we filed with our friends at the Allied Educational Foundation, which is a group also concerned about these issues and often partners with us in these types of amicus briefs. What is an amicus brief? It's a friend of court brief. It's a brief that organizations or people or groups can file in pending litigation, usually at uh, the appellate or Supreme Court levels, either in the states or obviously in the Supreme Court, the federal level, the, uh, that, that talk about the issues that are being litigated. So we're not necessarily parties, but we want the court to consider these issues. And what we did in Alabama was we highlighted the fact that they should not be able to, uh, the left should not be able to uh, knock out a law without showing there was any discriminatory intent or effect. Well, the effect thing, hold on one second. I want to be sure I said that right. 
So the first of all, the good news is that the appellate court ruled and protected Alabama's um, voter ID law, which is, as I said, very generous. The court ruled that the 14th or 15th amendments of the Voting Rights Act and that the anti-voter ID plaintiffs failed to demonstrate that the Alabama law causes the denial or abridgment of the right to vote on account of race. And what they tried to do was that there were, they, they suggested there was all sorts of nefarious intent in all of that. And A, that wasn't true. And B, it wasn't sufficient. With respect to the voter ID requirement itself, this is a basic truism. The burden of providing a photo, a photo ID in order to vote is a minimal burden on Alabama's voters and frankly anyone else's voters, especially when Alabama accepts so many different forms of photo ID and makes acquiring one simple and free for voters who lack a valid ID but wish to obtain one. So it's free if you want one. And they accept all sorts of photo ID. And that affirmed a lower court ruling that was put on appeal. So again, the left was trying to uh, overturn a basic voter ID requirement. And as we highlighted in our amicus brief, the leftists trying to challenge the voter ID law failed to show a discriminatory well, this actually is quoting the, um, no, this is quoting us. The district court failed, excuse me, start over again. The left-wing plaintiffs failed to show a discriminatory result, let alone a discriminatory impact sufficient to rise to the level of a denial or abridgment of an equal opportunity to participate in the political process and to elect representatives of choice. A racially disproportionate impact is not enough, nor is a history of discrimination, nor are the two in combination. Quite simply, the challenged ID procedure must be shown by plaintiffs to cause discriminatory results in order to prove a section two violation which, of the Voting Rights Act, which is the big law that covers this. And this is the 11th Circuit, and they appeal, they agreed with Judicial Watch's analysis here. In this case, there is no evidence that the challenged law either resulted in the denial or abridgment of the right to vote, or that such denial or abridgment of the right to vote was an account, was on account of race or color under Section 2. Lacking a showing of evidence necessary to demonstrate the sort of causal, causal connection between racial bias and disparate effect, necessary to make a voter denial claim dooms plaintiff's claims. I know that may sound complicated, but what they're trying to say is this is targeted at race specifically and the because it may affect some minorities, it means it ought to be thrown out. That's essentially what they're saying and the court said that's not that's not appropriate under law. 
voter ID, the requirements apply to all voters. As I point out, it's a good policy. The left is dishonestly playing the race card to try to stop common sense voter ID laws here. And it's not just in Alabama, it's all over the place. They oppose all voter ID. Did you see Barack Obama this week at the John Lewis funeral? Making these false accusations of racial hostility behind those Americans of all races who support voter ID. I'm tired of the left playing the race card to try to undermine election security. Election security protects the votes of everyone. And they patronize minorities and suggesting they can't figure out how to get a photo ID, of course. Everyone has voter ID necessary to vote and it's easily available. And the idea that somehow minorities are incapable of doing that is so patronizing. And of course they don't believe it because they know it's not true. If it were true, you wouldn't have court decisions like you had in the Alabama case. I mean, and it's not just in Alabama. We had to file another brief on a similar matter in, in Arkansas, excuse me, in um, Arizona, the Ninth Circuit out there. There's a Supreme Court case at issue as well. Well, the left is playing the race card to overturn election security requirements in Arizona. Voter ID, citizenship verification, clean election rolls, vote in person, vote on election day. Be sure you're registered to vote before you show up to vote. Those are the sorts of things we need to be pushing. Vote by mail is a menace to free and fair elections. Simple. So we had some good news on uh, a big case we had. I kind of get outraged even with the good news. But we have been representing a former, reti he's retired now, top FBI agent, uh, Jeffrey Danik. And he had asked for the text messages of Andrew McCabe, the former number two FBI director who was fired for misconduct, and uh, he wanted text messages about his communications and other communications about uh, the Hillary Clinton issue. For instance, uh, McCabe's wife, you may recall, uh, received a boatload of money from the Terry McAuliffe machine, and McAuliffe is a Clinton member of the Clinton world. And he was not only involved in the Clinton email investigation, um, he says it wasn't as substantial as others might, but he was involved. And in fact, the conflict was so egregious that he secretly, despite 
saying it wasn't a conflict publicly ended up recusing himself from the Clinton email matter just a week before the election. How do we know that? Because Judicial Watch found it out. So he's running the Clinton investigation as number two. And so what did and we wanted his text messages. Our client wanted his text messages. Well, the corrupt FBI said text messages aren't subject to FOIA. Oh, you might be surprised to hear that, but that's been their legal position. Ray's FBI has been protecting Andrew McCabe and also Peter Strzok and Lisa Page. We've yet to receive any text. I think we've received a few text messages only because they had, a few of them had turned over the Congress. Still not clear where we're going to get, get the others. I mean, they suggested they'll give them to us, but it's not clear because they've taken the legal position that text messages aren't subject to FOIA. Now, our client began asking for these records back in 2016. We sued on his behalf in 2017. It's now 2020. It's now the end of July, beginning of August 2020, and we still don't have any records. And we litigated it and litigated it, and we finally got a ruling. And the court was, um, it was an adverse ruling against the FBI. Uh, he sh the court, in my view, should have just thrown them out in terms of their objections. But he said, you know, you haven't followed, or excuse me, she said, you haven't followed, uh, you haven't given me enough information to suggest they're not records under the law. And of course, she gave them a second chance to come back. Well, you know, the writing was on the wall and the FBI has capitulated and they've decided to, be, to begin the review and process Andrew McCabe's text messages. So it's a big victory. It's a long way of saying we won, right? Well, we haven't won one in the sense that they haven't given us the text messages yet. They're still stonewalling. There's only 150 text messages and they still say they'll need uh, till the end of August to tell us when they're gonna give them to us. So it's now year four of waiting for what has turned out to be 150 text messages to be reviewed. 150 text messages to be reviewed. And again, Andrew McCabe, the corrupt Andrew McCabe, they've been protecting. So you can imagine what's in these text messages that they were so crazily trying to protect in court from disclosure. They've outrageously stonewalled the release of these text messages for years. Ray's FBI has done it. And as I said, they're separately stonewalling the release of page struck materials. They've got 8,000 pages of emails and maybe text messages and they don't wanna release all of them to us completely until at least 20, late 2021, 2022. They're protecting the Obama gang. They're protecting Hillary Clinton. This Justice Department, this FBI, and as I said previously, the State Department as well. But Ray's FBI is in cover-up mode. And I'm glad they capitulated here, but let's be clear. It was capitulation in the face of an adverse court ruling. They were forced. And Judicial Watch beat the FBI. I don't know about you, but isn't it frustrating that we have to sue law enforcement agencies like the FBI and Justice Department? Because Justice Department, despite all the sleight of hand you hear, the Justice Department is responsible for what the FBI does. The leadership of the Justice Department runs the FBI, technically speaking, in the sense that they can hire and fire people there. 
the FBI isn't separate from the Justice Department. And we have to sue the law enforcement agencies to get the law enforced that they're breaking. Imagine if the FBI came and said, I want your tax messages. And you said, no, it's not a record. What do you think the FBI would do? They'd knock, through, they'd knock down your door. Take your computers like they did to Paul Manafort and Roger Stone and people like that. I'm tired of this corrupted FBI thinking it's above the law. And Director Ray has done little to clean house there. So we won, but you know, it's always gonna be a fight just even to get to the next step. I joke we have to sue to get the time of day from these folks. So you can just imagine the corruption uh, in, in these text messages about Clinton and McCabe and McCulloch and, and the Clinton Foundation. You know, we're not asking for this because we don't think anything's there. Something's there and the FBI's cover-up suggests it's big. So we'll see. <sighs> what else is happening? Uh, I don't know if I can sustain the outrage all through this program, but Adam Schiff won, at least temporarily in his effort to keep his corruption secretly. Judicial Watch sued the uh, Adam Schiff and the House Intelligence Committee for those secret subpoenas he issued to get the phone records of Rudy Giuliani and other Senate Americans and then publish them. And we sued in federal court, uh, alleging that we had a common law right to access to government records. And the court, um, in, a, in an opinion issued by Judge Beryl Howe, uh, said that Adam Schiff can keep his records secret. Schiff uh, claims sovereign immunity, which the court suggested probably wasn't appropriate, the spe and the speech or debate clause privilege. Now, we suggested that it was an impeachment effort, was judicial-like proceeding as the court has found, and therefore wasn't subjected to the speech or debate clause privilege. And certainly given the misconduct, there are other issues that should have been considered by the court as well. Because if you can't get, if you're, a, if you're a police officer or the FBI and they tried to get a subpoena of your phone records without court authorization, it would be illegal. Congress is taking the position, your Congress, under House Leader Pelosi and Schiff, that they can subpoena secretly your phone records and publish them without accountability. You can't even ask for the subpoena. They take the position they shouldn't even have to get court authorization to take your private papers. And it's outrageous that a court would uphold that misconduct from any, any scrutiny. The way I read this decision, I'll, you know, the lawyers may get nervous when I start in, interpreting court opinions that they can do this with impunity. Forget about the accountability in terms of figuring out what they did. That they come and they could send someone to raise your home, perhaps, under their own power and not be subject to scrutiny or accountability for it. 
It's concerning, don't you think? And of course, Adam Schiff did this corruptly. I mean, it was the president's lawyer he targeted, Rudy Giuliani. The president has a right to counsel. And he blew up that right to counsel by trying to take his secret records. Schiff should be impeached. Oh, I know. The left will tell you that congressmen can't be impeached. Actually, that's not true. Of course they can be impeached. Whether it will be successful or not is another matter. It's a pretty good, it's pretty much a good rule of thumb that whenever you hear something interesting about, oh, well, this can be done, this can't be done, and you hear the media say, oh, that can't be done, experts say, you can pretty much rule it out that uh, you can pretty much reject the notion or reject the media's analysis. So when they say, oh, that can't be done, it's usually not the case. And in the case of Adam Schiff, he can be impeached. There's nothing in the Constitution that protects a member, for Congress, a member of Congress from being in, not being impeached. Now, a member was previously impeached in the 19th century, and the Senate refused to convict him. So that technically, that has been seen as like a, uh, a bar to impeachment, but it's, it just suggests that the Senate's, Senate doesn't like the idea of impeaching a member of Congress, but doesn't mean they can't. <laughs> so we don't believe the judge's decision was correct. Whether we appeal it is another question. But again, it was Judicial Watch who went to court to try to hold Adam Schiff accountable for abusing the constitutional rights of Donald Trump, Rudy Giuliani. And remember the published phone records that Giuliani, of Giuliani and others that he published included Devin Nunes, the member of Congress, John Solomon, the reporter. I think uh, Jay Sekulow's records were published. Victoria Tenzing and uh, Joe Genova, I think their records were published as well. So he violated the constitutional rights of many innocent Americans. Yes, innocent Americans, just in his, uh, just so he could pursue his coup attack on President Trump. And a federal court ruled that Judicial Watch can't get access to that, uh, the records documenting that abuse. So irrespective of the court decision, I want you to remember that they are taking the position, the House is, that they can secretly subpoena your phone records and publish them without accountability. That you can't go to court to get the access to what they did, or perhaps even sue them for abusing your rights. So uh, again, Judicial Watch isn't forgetting about uh, Schiff's corruption. And if I were if I were the president, given not only this corruption but his evident pension for leaking and his dishonesty and working with the uh, inside coup plotter, the whistleblower, I cut off his access to classified information. That's what the president should do. There's no law requiring the president to give anyone classified information. Schiff can't be trusted. He's abused his power and authority. I wouldn't give him classified information. 
the law doesn't require the president to do that. So, you know, all of this tells you that Judicial Watch, once again, is front and center on all of these battles for government accountability where the Justice Department is absent, the media is absent, even Republicans, they don't, get, they don't care about Adam Schiff anymore. Adam Schiff almost blew up our government. He engaged in a coup attack on the president. Where's the accountability? Republicans don't care. They're too busy trying to keep themselves in office. That's why you need independent groups like Judicial Watch. Before I go, I also want to talk about the, uh, the censorship crisis online. Uh, obviously, big tech has been pressuring conservatives, censoring conservatives. Now you have these doctors being censored. I guess I got to be careful about what I say so I don't get censored because they showed up and gave their clinical observations about the efficacy of hydrochloroquine, hydroxychloroquine in treating coronavirus. And uh, rather than allow doctors to share their considered opinions, you had the left-wing big tech companies start suppressing the information. There are studies that show the hydroxychloroquine may be both a preventative and an effective treatment for coronavirus. Now, Dr. Fauci has suggested that the studies are not sufficient scientifically for him to recommend it. That's fine. But as the FDA has reminded us, despite it dishonestly trying to suppress hydroxychloroquine, the FDA commissioner said that there's nothing that prevents a doctor from prescribing it in consultation with his patient for any off-label use. But big tech wants to suppress this drug because not because of the science behind it, I believe it's because effective potential treatments are to be discounted because this is all about politics now. It's not about the science. It's not about your health. It's about getting Donald Trump. You saw this today uh, with Dr. Fauci, who was testifying to Congress. He was loath to criticize specifically the protests that have been allowed to take place despite his repeatedly highlighting the fact that we should keep businesses closed, you know, be careful about opening schools, all sorts of other things. All he could say was, generally speaking, you know, it's more like you're more likely to get it if you're close to people and there's no mask or social distancing, large crowds. But of course, he was vague, even when pushed by Jim Jordan on saying, oh, no, there shouldn't be the protests. And Jordan was making the point, well, why is it that we can't go to church? You can get arrested for trying to earn a living and open your business and feed your family. But these same leftist governors are happy to allow protests that advance their political agenda. And go back and look at Dr. Fauci's response. And you can decide for yourself whether he was being politically evasive or not. But when you look at the way that the medical establishment has treated hydroxychloroquine, and you look at the way they allow and kind of 
don't give too much of a, don't seemingly have any concern about protests and riots. Now, I'm for one who thinks, I don't have a problem with anyone going to protest. I don't have a, I don't care. But I do care that others can't similarly exercise their God-given rights because it's politically inconvenient for the governors, the petty tyrants that are locking down America. They should be able to protest. The point is that they should be suppressed too. The point is others should be freed. And let me be clear on something else. Hydroxychloroquine is a safe drug. There's a debate about whether it works on coronavirus. And Dr. Fauci has this high standard for his, his recommended use, which I do not think is appropriate given the alleged emergency we are facing with coronavirus. But I wanna know why Dr. Fauci doesn't have a similarly high standard for his recommended policies that are destroying our country. Where is the randomized placebo-controlled study showing that a lockdown of 30, 330 million people helped control the spread of a virus? Where is the random placebo-controlled gold standard study that show that masks prevent the public spread of coronavirus? Or that mass mandates even prevent the public spread, the, the community spread of coronavirus? Where's the placebo-controlled random study that shows that shutting down schools control, control, control coronavirus? That shutting down your First Amendment freedoms control coronavirus? Keeping you away from church control control coronavirus? We're being told we all have to do that. Where's the science behind that? But then you've got big tech censoring doctors who suggest that there are drugs available that might be successful in their experience because they've been treating patients. It's all politics, people. I don't want to get sick. You don't want to get sick. I don't want anyone to die from coronavirus. But coronavirus is here. It's a fact of life and we can't continue to destroy our country. Given the risk of the drug of the virus. What do I think we do? We open the country fully up, we get kids back to school. We focus on treatments. I know many of you are concerned about vaccines, you don't trust that whole process, I don't necessarily blame you. But we have flu vaccines and you know, flu vaccines aren't perfect, that's for sure. I don't know if this coronavirus vaccine is gonna be perfect. It's remarkable how fast it's developing. And hopefully we finally get studies confirming that hydroxychloroquine is an effective preventative. Maybe that's a, maybe that's a solution that we're kind of, we have a malaria type situation in the United States and a preventative like hydroxychloroquine might be appropriate. I don't know if that's gonna be the case. But as the FDA commissioner reminds you, you have a right to discuss that issue right now with your doctor. 
and I pray you're in a state where the governors and the local authorities in, in, in a fit of anti-Trump maliciousness don't interfere with your rights to choose how to use hydrochloroquine in consultation with your doctor. The doctor, uh, hydrochloroquine, hydroxychloroquine is a safe and effective drug. There's a debate about whether it's safe and effective for COVID treatment and, and then as a preventative, but that's a decision between you and your doctor. And don't let YouTube get in the way of it. Don't let Twitter get in the way with it, get in the way with it and don't let Facebook get in the way of it. So in the meantime, I wait for the studies that tell me that we should wear goggles to prevent coronavirus. And you know what? I don't necessarily think that wearing a mask is the worst possible idea in the world, especially in certain circumstances. I you may recall, I said a few weeks ago that you know we're walking around wearing masks and I'm thinking, why aren't we wearing goggles? I mean, isn't that, aren't our eyes similarly susceptible to viruses if under their logic? Sure enough, I shouldn't have said anything because Fauci then said, well, maybe we should all be wearing goggles or some type of facial, full facial protection. And if you want to do that, that's fine. I don't think it's impossible that in certain circumstances, the mask might work. Just like it's not impossible that there may be drugs out there that are currently available and they work. Yet we're supposed to be accepting as gospel the voodoo science and guesswork behind masks and social distancing. Where's, for instance, the science that social distancing works? That it should be three feet or six feet or 30 feet. There is none. There are some studies that might provide the basis for maybe a recommendation but the studies aren't show that the recommendation actually would work. So we need to keep our heads on on coronavirus. And as you can see, coronavirus is also being used as an excuse to upend our elections. Don't let the left use coronavirus to stop you from voting in person. Wear a mask if you want. Wear a mask shield if you want. Wear scuba gear if you want. I don't care. Vote in person. It's the best way to make sure your vote is counted. So with that, I'll leave you to your week. Have a great week. And I'll see you next time here on the Judicial Watch Weekly Update. You have just listened to Tom Fitton's weekly update on JW TalkNet. Remember to subscribe and donate at judicialwatch.org slash donate.